The sky is full of clouds, and my world's full of people. You got the different kinds, with different ways. It would take a lifetime to explain. Not one's the same. I often think about the world in which I live today, of animals and plants and nature's gifts sit on display. But the most amazing thing that I've seen in my time are all the different people and all their different minds in different ways. It would take a lifetime to explain. Not one's exactly the same. Look at me, I'm a person. Look at me, I'm my own person. For better or for worse, different people. How can I celebrate? It's just this doing this podcast is about being alive is impossible because I can celebrate Gwen Stefani. I can celebrate what no doubt has done uh, to change the course of humanity. And yet I have to mourn the loss of Gwen Stefani while allowing for her to be a as she says in Tragic Kingdom, in the song Different People, which I just uh, quoted, you know, a different person. Um, things can be broken down in this world of ours, you know, as she says. The issue is, and, and she doesn't owe me anything. If she wants to be a Republican, gun-owning, um, just whatever, I'm just like, you were married to Gavin Rossdale. You had... Blue hair, braces, and a bindi. You're the coolest woman alive. You're a Libra. And here we are. Um, you know, Libra can go both ways, which she has. And I... I, I Blake Shelton. I, I, anyways, it's, it's... And then I'm judgmental. You know, that's the problem. And, and it's not her fault if this is what makes her happy. But... Also, you know, I can't imagine what her her red and white top that she wore um, for Hella Good, for Rocksteady, um, and the ensuing age of low-cut uh, baggy jeans and crop tops. Uh, hyper, I mean, re when I say crop top, I mean, like, we are talking clavicle to diaphragm crop top. You know, the fact that she could pull it off so triumphantly um, and the amount of women's lives she <laughs> she ruined is major. Uh, you know, again, we've said it many times on this podcast. If you watch Buffy or Angel, lesser charmed, um, the clothes that they put those poor women in, I'm thinking about Amber Benson wearing um, um, low-cut, floor-length denim skirts that would fit literally no human being alive in a flattering way, uh, which I do think did irreparable damage to their careers. It's just traumatic, and I think any woman who was like acting or on the scene while George Bush was president is traumatized. I was just talking about this with future guest Jake Cornell. Because we're talking about WandaVision and, you know, Amber, no, not Amber Benson, um, Emma Caulfield, who plays Anya on Buffy, who, you know, I am Anya. Anya is my favorite. Uh, she is on the second episode of WandaVision. She looks great. She's fantastic. She hits every single goddamn mark, as always. And I was just saying to Jake, I was like, yeah, she just needed time off because 
if you were acting in the years of Bush being freshly elected and 9-11 and you were a woman, like, you needed a good 10 years to just sleep it off and, like, have... It's kind of like the plot of Girl Interrupted, which is, like, Winona needs to be institutionalized, but she actually doesn't, and then she just has a good talk with Whoopi. I think Emma Caulfield and a lot of these actresses, like, literally just needed to recover from having to wear Gwen Stefani's um, clothing. WandaVision, all right. I really rec... You know, the Vision series, I think that's Tom King um, for Marvel. Uh, the comic series is very good. Really, the Mr. Miracle series that he did for DC with Mitch Gerards is gorgeous, and I think better than this. But, you know, I love Tiana Paris, who played Dawn on Mad Men, Dawn 2. I wonder if it's going to be able to go as far as it needs to. Um, I grew up in the Scarlet Witch is Crazy era of the tw 2000s. And, you know, I had an Avengers Disassembled poster above my bed. Not that that's even such a good time. And I think a lot of that storytelling about how, like, the Scarlet Witch, like, loses her, her babies and then goes crazy and homicidal. I'm not saying that I even support that. I'm just saying... Um, She's a dark character. She's a fucked up character, and I hope that Disney Plus can go there. I doubt it. However, you know I love Catherine Hahn. How have I not done an entire episode about Catherine Hahn's astrology? Who wants to be the special guest to talk about Catherine Hahn's astrology? Let's just look into this right now. So Catherine Hahn, I'm just telling you now, will be the villain of WandaVision. There's just no possible way. And I want to say this. In early, so in uh, no, 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 December 2018, when Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse came out, I went to see it at the Alamo Draft House, which I hope closes because it's a scam. I'm sorry. Listen, I grew up in Texas. The Alamo Draft House in Austin is excellent. Um, really influential. Have a lot of beautiful. I saw Dark Knight. There, I fell asleep. I saw Super 8 there. Uh, my friend Meg and I saw Todd Haynes' movie Superstar, which is his um, short film about Karen Carpenter's life that is entirely shot with Barbie dolls and is one of the most affecting, upsetting, beautiful things I've ever seen. And it's a banned film. Um, because the movie heavily insinuates that um, Richie Carpenter, what is what is what is that piece of shit's name? Um, so Karen Carpenter, who was a Pisces, oh man, yeah, Richie Carpenter, her brother. The movie insinuates that he psychologically gaslit and terrorized her, among with the parents, and that he was a closeted homosexual, which is a, a huge reason for the reason he he terrorized her. So he sued also the movie fully uses carpenter music without getting the rights he sued and i think only moma is like legally or whatever has it but alma Drafthouse showed it and it was really beautiful the fantasy novel i was writing last year that did not come to light had a karen and richie kind of amalgamation oh man she's a pisces 
Let's look into that. Karen Carpenter. We're, we're coming back to Katherine Hahn. So let's just spend a little time with Karen Carpenter. Then we're going to go back to Katherine Hahn and then the podcast will continue. Oh, man. Karen Carpenter was a Cancer rising and a Pisces sun and a Venus in Aquarius and a Leo moon. So... It's really like that cancer rising is just like, yeah, anything for the family, man. And, you know, she's an eighth house Venus in Aquarius, eighth house Jupiter in Aquarius. And then that sun is in Pisces. So and with that Leo moon, I mean, in the second house. So she's obviously the cash cow of the family. Her stardom is money for the family Um, and her there there's a huge amount of abundance for the family but she's at a distance from it that aquarius and then it's hard for her to be kind of discovered it's hard for her to be found and then she's mars and libra so that cancer that mars and libra and then that pisces sun she's so impressionable she's such an open talent she's such an open vessel but she's so impressionable um nothing is nothing is worse than than losing Karen Carpenter and um you know thank god we have Justin Vivian Bond who's honored a lot of Karen Carpenter's work um okay I saw at the Alamo Draft House in Brooklyn which let me just tell you is hell world it's above that target it's in there are some parts of Brooklyn where you're like how am I in Soviet Russia like how what did I do? What wrong turn did I make in my goddamn life to be here? This is disgusting. Um, anyways, that Alma Draft House, I'm sorry. Everything is overpriced. The food is disgusting. Um, and, okay. So, Catherine Hahn, when I went to see Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, classically I was on edibles and mushrooms. I was in a theater filled with... Um, uh, children, or as the trench book calls them, uh, squirming worms of vomit. And I agree, you know, th- these are Brooklyn children. Their names are all Hayden and Sasha and their parents suck. Anyways, during into the spider verse, when they introduce the character of Liv, you know, I'll know that voice anywhere. I hear it. So I say out loud in the theater, it's Catherine Hahn crickets. No one responds. This is what happens when you send a Jew and a faggot um, to the Cineplex. Catherine Hahn was great in Spider-Verse. Catherine Hahn will be great on WandaVision. Um, Catherine Hahn, I recommend that you listen to her Terry Gross interview because it's just Terry Gross being like, wait a minute, so you're not Jewish? You know what I mean? Like, that's the whole interview. Okay. We don't have Catherine Hahn's rising. She is a Leo Sun and a Leo Mars, which is very good. She, she is a Leo. She is not go- she is not going to schlep to you or hustle for it. You can come to her with your uh you know Jill Soloway and she is a Virgo moon. Virgo moon is good because I think she is very she's very breathy, she's very physical, she's very precise and she's very body and somatic. Um Oh, Venus, Mercury and Saturn in Cancer. Yeah, okay. That's, you know, I'm not going to get into it. You know, you people get enough from me about about astrology. So 
we'll see with WandaVision. Uh, you know, I don't really understand why we're like schlepping out the D. I'm sorry, but a lot of these characters are C and D list because we're just waiting for the X-Men characters to be in play. You have to understand that in the world I grew up with, X-Men and Spider-Man are the reason anyone read Marvel Comics. The other characters, when people tell me about like Chris Pratt in Guardians of the Galaxy, I'm like, you know that you're talking about like the, the we're, we're really scraping the bottom of the barrel here. Um, and you know, people also just don't understand this. Like X-Men is so big in the comics world. Not that it, comics don't matter. Watch what you like. Nothing matters. Whenever people walk out of a theater and they go, well, I don't know how that happened in the comics, but it's like nothing happens in the comics. You don't need to, it, it doesn't matter. It's all a big soap opera. Um, but there are people who have read, who have gone to the comic book store every single week to buy X-Men comics since 1992 who don't read any other comics, and who don't even see the X-Men movies. X-Men is so big. So anytime that they're whipping out, like, whatever other deal... You know, they announced this, like, slate for Disney+, and I'm like, God, who are these just D-listers? Okay. Um, I will say that HBO Max ha is now airing Batman the Animated Series, which is stunningly beautiful. Of course, I recommend anyone that they watch Batman Mask of the Phantasm, which I think is on Netflix. That is the Batman the Animated Series movie. Crisp, crisp 70 minutes. But if you need some episodes of the show to watch, hit me up. I think it's a stunning show. Kevin Conroy, who voices Batman, is the sexiest Batman. He is the most vul emotionally vulnerable Batman. And he is... He's just perfection. Of course, you know I love Michael Keaton. You know that my mother my mother will go to her grave with Michael Keaton as Bruce Wayne. I'm getting tears in my eyes. My mother says that when when they went in Israel to see Batman when it came out and he spread his wings in that first scene, she gasped. Um, and I think Michael Keaton, who is so hot also, when, when Selena Kyle licks his uh, face... And he licks his lips to taste it. It's so sexy. I think he looks gorgeous with that eyeliner under his cowl. Michael Keaton is so good with the kind of aloof, um, only child orphan. I think he does it really well. And he's very good. What is Michael Keaton's scenario? You know, Michael Keaton has a kind of Patrick Swayze um, element in that he's really good with a co-star. He's really good at giving Michelle uh, Michelle Pfeiffer, his his uh, female co-star, the, the kind of attention. Oh, Michael Keaton's a Virgo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if we put Michael Keaton in the kind of Keanu Reeves um, camp, he's very mutable in that Virgo way. He's able to um, work with what's given. I have always said that Keanu Reeves should be Batman. Keanu Reeves would be an incredible... I know that people think Keanu Reeves is not a good actor. Keanu Reeves is a good person, and Keanu Reeves has lived a life of pain and love. And Keanu Reeves knows what it is to sacrifice oneself um, for what matters, and Keanu Reeves understands loss. When you cast, like, Ben Affleck as Batman, no, you're not going to really get an empathic performance because... 
Ben Affleck like gambles with Tobey Maguire in hell. Um, but, you know, these mask for mask performances, you're not going to get much. But Keanu Reeves actually is a vessel for um, for Keanu Reeves is Virgo. He's in the earth. He, he's he's he, he will outlive us all. I think he would make a beautiful Batman. And I think um, Jonathan Majors would make a great Superman again. I will just write the movie if you hire me. Um, of course, I love Christian Bale. You know, Batman Begins was so, so major. Cried, 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 cried during that movie. Um, but I do think that Kevin Conroy is the, he's the consummate. He unites the, he unites every, every facet of Batman that one requires and of course, Mark Hamill, whose Joker is a faggot. Mark Hamill is so legendary. Mark Hamill is so giving. He is a true virtuoso. He is not an actor's actor. He is actually like... Mark Hamill is, you know, I don't mean to drag Robert Pattinson, but if you listen to the NPR Terry Gross interview with Robert Pattinson, when she asks him about playing Batman... Listening to a straight actor talk about his process is like getting um, my eyelashes pulled out one by one, which, by the way, my stepmother used to say that if I ever smoked cigarettes, <laughs> she would pull my eyelashes out one by one. To this day, I, I do not smoke cigarettes. I'm the only person in New York who doesn't. Um, I think Robert Pattinson will, great, will be great, but hearing him talk about, like, whenever men talk about their process, whenever men have a process with acting, you know... You might as well just uh, push me out the window. Um, he, anyways, Mark Hamill. It's 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 so beyond that. It is pure devotion. It is pure giving. What have I been talking about this whole podcast? Okay. Important, important. Um, you know, this is a Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman podcast. We don't even need to get into that, but to get into one of the major things I want to discuss this week. Obviously, Michelle Pfeiffer's glasses in Batman Returns are major. They are really, really big. We thank Tim Burton and Bo Welch, obviously, for the framing and lighting of those glasses, but they're big. Which leads to this weekend when I watched, thanks to my roommate, uh, Harry Hansen slash Amber Alert, I saw Eyes Wide Shut for the first time. Before we get into anything, let me just say something. Okay. I got LASIK three years ago. I'm experiencing some astigmatism. I need new glasses. Um, buying glasses in 2021 is humiliating because all of these sites, the they all of these frames have names like Aura, Grin, Muse. Uh, it just shut up, okay? Shut up. It, it's so humiliating for everyone involved. But... Nicole Kidman's glasses in eyes wide shut are, I have to have those glasses. The scene where she is in see-through um, underwear, where she's in the underwear and the like see-through top with those glasses and she is smoking a joint and just like fucking tearing into Tom Cruise about how she has a fantasy about getting fucked by a young uh, sailor. 
I need those glasses. I, I, I've never needed anything in the way that I need them, and I will do whatever it takes. So if we have any leads on those, I will wear them every goddamn day. Trust me. First of all, I loved her episode of Mark Maron. Uh, Nicole Kidman, let's look at her chart for a minute. I am not doing great with astrology on this episode. I just don't, I don't think I have anything super interesting to say, but whatever. Nicole Kidman in that movie, I think it's one of her best. I think it's the hottest she's ever looked. Um, I would put it up there with like To Die For. Um, obviously, I'm not crazy about the hours. Um, I mean, I just think she's good in the hours, but Julianne Moore is better. Um, but why am I forgetting, like, my favorite Nicole Kidman movies? Okay. Nicole Kidman is a Scorpio rising Gemini sun. Fascinating. I thought she was a Cancer. But she's really a Scorpio rising. So she has that curation ability of the Scorpio rising. So she's really able to pick projects very well. Um, and I think it's, it's what makes her a very good producer. She's a second house Sagittarius moon. So we know that in terms of bringing in money, she does need to be challenged. She does need to be stimulated and she does need to push the envelope a little, which I, you know, God love her. Um, and then we come to that Gemini, which is that pure, pure vessel work. I mean, she is such a channel and she is, fuck, she's incredible. Um, practical magic. I loved her in the Paperboy. That was during her Nadir. I loved that period, frankly. Um, oh, God. The Human Stain. You know, there's a lot here. All right. We don't need to get into this. Um, oh, my God. Margot at the Wedding. That's the movie. Margot at the Wedding is really major. Um, oh, she's a Venus in Leo. And a Libra Mars. Okay. Okay. Um, oh, so she she's a 12th house Mars and Libra. So she's really good. That's why Eyes Wide Shut is so good. She's so good at unpacking relational um, relational trauma, which is why that, that scene in Eyes Wide Shut is incredible. That is her, this 12th house uh, Libra Mars, her claiming this kind of dark victory and this dark, uh, this dark reclamation of individuality within the context of, of love. Eyes Wide Shut, obviously I'm going to need Tom Cruise's hair in that movie. Um, most of that movie reminds me of the iconic David Letterman um, scene with Amy Sedaris where she's walking through the West Village at 4 a.m. giving David Letterman a tour. It's the thing I watch most for relaxation. Um, it's the best thing in the world and it's like the purest thing in the world. But most of that movie is... It's like 1999 in this beautiful West Village uh, before Le Pain Quotidien took over. That is so just like shitty costume shops and these like awful diners. I, it's so lovely. And it's just Tom Cruise walking around the West Village looking for sex. And it really is very Amy Sedaris. And it really, I, I wanted to be there. I love the movie. I never wanted it to end. I understand how many bad straight people's sex parties I've been to and had to write about for Time Out are based off of that that are so embarrassing because it's like you go to one of these and they have masks and they have entertainment. I mean, 
we have all been to House of Yes when the fucking like hula hoop twirling acts begin and it's like, oh, give me a fucking break. Like, why don't you play a good song and like have hot people? By the way, we reached the limits of my go-go dancing was House of Yes, which is I go-go dance there twice not my cup of tea. You know, I am used to the get in a jock strap, put on some uh, baby oil and like let it rip. House of Yes, they all build their costumes. Who's wearing antlers? Oh, give me a fucking break. Then um and then they judge me cuz I didn't. And it's like, okay, I'm sorry that I didn't like find my personality at Burning Man. Okay, secondly, they put me in one of those spinning cages that hangs over the bar. I'm hypoglycemic. If you think that I'm go-go dancing without eating a full meal beforehand, you got another thing coming. I, of course, was fighting vomit the entire time. Meanwhile, I look across the way in the other spinning cage. The other dancer is, like, hanging upside down. They all went to aerial school. Um, Classically, I had sex with another go-go dancer in 2018, who I later discovered... um, was arrested for sleeping with a minor who was one of his students at trapeze college so that is a life well lived um house of yes is pathetic but yeah anyways there's so many of these pre-pandemic straight people parties that are obviously knocked off of um eyes wide shut where i was like oh honey you're not doing this right the other thing is i did i have been learning about the ways that stanley kubrick um terrorize Shelley Duvall on the set of The Shining and it's very it's very upsetting and it's very unfortunate and it's just like it it shouldn't it should make it's so sad and it shouldn't have been that way um Tom Cruise is a Scorpio rising with Mars in Taurus he has Mars in Taurus in the seventh house which is interesting. He has a Leo moon and he has, I'll, I'll tell you what, you know, I will tell you what this means if I find it interesting. Let me just collect this data, okay? I didn't prepare notes. He has a Leo moon and a Venus in Leo. Um, he's actually quite compatible with Nicole Kidman. He's Jupiter in Pisces um, and he has a Cancer sun. I did not expect him to be a Cancer sun, but I can see it because with male Cancers, it's like, yes, he has the Tom Cruise and Magnolia, you know, very open, very giving. But, you know, there are some some walls with Tom Cruise. There are some things we are never going to know about. That's very cancer. Um, but yeah, he's 10th house Leo Moon, Leo Venus, Leo Uranus. Uh, so his kind of, his Leo energy is pretty strong. Um I do love that he has Venus in the 10th house and he has Mars in the 7th house. Because I do think... He is, I think he's very, he's also very good with, with women scene partners. Even Edge of Tomorrow, I thought like he really gave that movie to Emily Blunt um, in a great way. I thought that his Mars would be an Aquarius because I find his sexuality, I found him attractive in that movie, but I find his sexuality very bizarre. And I assumed that he had Mars in Aquarius, I, I think Rachel Griffiths has Mars in Aquarius, or she might have Venus in Aquarius. But he has Mars in Taurus, which is interesting. So it's more of a fixed 
it's more of a fixed relational sexuality and it's not really a Taurus is not it's not so aggressive so it's not like a Marky Mark masculinity it's more of a um solid fixed masculinity but but in terms of sexual expression I do love that the Venus is in the 10th house and Venus is in Leo um because he can be sexy I just think it's not it's 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 difficult it's more in alignment with with the role um yeah it's interesting that he and nicole kidman are both scorpio rising if that's interesting to you it doesn't have to be um anyways i loved it um i i nicole kidman's underwear made me think of alien which i rewatched this summer which is so fucking good and the scene at the end where the alien is in the little escape ship with ripley and the cat and sigourney weaver is changing and she's in that those that sexy underwear it's a similar sort of like i know how hot i am i don't need to wear like an alice eve in star trek uh into darkness bikini like you're gonna love this so i love that i want to say that <sighs> i just learned that sarah jessica parker and robert downey jr were together for like nine years when they were like young actors in hollywood which is so weird you know classically i want robert downey jr to be put on the same boat that i put johnny depp leonardo dicaprio and Mark Wahlberg and any other like bloated, um, inflamed straight male actor in his like 40s and 50s on. I am just like, get it away. But I saw Shortcuts this summer and I, which was a great movie, Shortcuts, Robert Altman, great movie. Uh, Lily Taylor, Lily Tomlin, you know, all the girlies, but. Robert Downey Jr. is so painfully hot in that movie. I think it's like 1991. He, there's a scene where he wears this onesie. And I have... It, it was... It was awful. It, it, it was hard <laughs> to look at how hot he was. He's with... He's not with Jennifer Jason Lee. He's with Lily Taylor. Jennifer Jason Lee's in it. She's incredible. Um, and when I saw that, I was like... I get it. I, I get it. I understand why he's ruined the lives of so many, like a gener, literally all Gen, Gen X women. I, I understand why he's a billionaire because Gen X women are now raising their children to go see Marvel movies. And they're like, oh, this is the man who taught me to masturbate because he's so hot. Him with Sarah Jessica Parker, which I also love that they were together up to, I guess, her Ed Wood years. Um, listen, I love her. I think... Obviously, Sex and the City is an incredible performance. Ed Wood, Family Stone, First Wives. I think she's incredible, but I gotta tell you, I don't think, and apparently we didn't learn our lesson with that Sex and the City too. releasing a show about incredibly rich white women, like outrageously rich white women during a recession or during a financial crash I just don't think it's necessarily the best idea. You know, take that or leave that. 
Um, I'm not dying to know about the life of Charlotte York Goldenblatt on the Upper West Side unless she joins uh, an Eyes Wide Shut cult. I would watch a Miranda spinoff that's just Miranda and that's just like a Murphy Brown, like, this is her gay assistant, okay? I think it's going whatever. You don't need my opinion on it. I will express to you that I watched Divorce this summer and it was weird because Divorce Season 1 was challenging. Divorce Season 2 was exceptional. I thought Divorce Season 2 was absolutely phenomenal. I thought Season 2... Um, I just want to make sure that I get her name right. Um, hold on. So Season... You know, we have Molly Shannon. Um, and we have Talia Balsam, who I love, also for Mad Men. You know, I thought season two did their characters really well, and I thought Molly Shannon got to do a full tour de force performance. I was very unhappy with season three. I thought season three was bitter and resentful, and I thought season three tried to get revenge on its audience. I thought it made no sense how many of the scenes of season three were filmed in Manhattan, and then I realized, oh yeah, Sarah Jessica Parker more than anything, is a shoe salesman and wants us to buy her shoes. And you could feel her trying to turn season three into, into Sex in the City, and it wasn't working. I thought it was so cynical, um, and I really did not like it. And I realized then, I was like, oh, all Sarah Jessica Parker wants to do is sell shoes. And now she's gotten her wish because uh, we're getting more Sex in the City, which will just be um, her selling shoes. I... You know, I'm thrilled Patricia Field is getting her showcase. Obviously, Patricia Field's best work, we all have to agree, massively influential show is Ugly Betty. I still think that the last five episodes of Ugly Betty are did more for queer consciousness than uh, fucking Glee and Ryan Murphy's Triple Scorpio Terror uh, Brigade. But... Obviously, I don't want to say that Ugly Betty did a lot of great things for trans representation because the when Rebecca Romaine is revealed as the long-lost trans sister, it is an iconic moment that will live for, with me forever, but they just were not comfortable showing her as like a sexual being, which was too bad. They really wasted that opportunity. I, by the way, in this house, I do not tolerate a negative word about Rebecca Romaine. I want to say something right now. If Rebecca Romaine ever wants to be on this podcast, I will read your chart. I will give you whatever you need. I think that Rebecca Romaine's performance, speaking of trans, <laughs> Rebecca Romaine's performance as Mystique in the X-Men, in, in X-Men 1 and 2 particularly, is epoch-defining and de deserves an Oscar. And I mean that with all of my heart. Rebecca Romaine in X-Men 1 in, in 2000 shifted my consciousness. The Mystique action figure was unlike anything I'd ever held in my two little hands before. Her line delivery, her, um, her sneer, and her dynamic with Ian McKellen. Talk about a good scene partner. She knew that Ian McKellen needed to fag out, and she was like, I'm going to play this chill. And she's triumphant. I want to say that I am listening to Stephen Fry's Mythos on Audible. I highly recommend it. I have been listening to it while I spread miso on my morning toast. It is excellent. Um, 
Stephen Fry is one of our greatest faggots. He is truly... I put Stephen Fry in the Victor Garber CU at Palm Springs camp of just... He is an old faggot. He and uh, Ian McKellen are here to have a good time. Classically, Stephen Fry's um, husband is 33 years old. Stephen Fry is 6,000 years old. His husband is 33. I'm obsessed. I love it. Um, Stephen Fry, let's really get into this. I love the Wachowskis. I think the Wachowskis are true visionaries. I think they're true auteurs. I think their worst movie is more original than any Marvel movie. I think they put they truly put their heart into everything they do. Um, I, I appreciate that they're on a little bit of a break. I'm genuinely excited for Matrix 4 and uh, I know that she I know that Lana co-wrote it with David Mitchell. You know that Cloud Atlas well we're going to talk about Cloud Atlas. I will watch Jupiter Ascending any day. I think that I think that they are they really want to move consciousness forward. Um, and I think that V for Vendetta is the fact that V for Vendetta came out in 2005, like in George Bush term two, is unbelievable. And that is a quarantine movie, by the way. Uh, Jess Tom famously is like, you know, use V for Vendetta as your pandemic scale for how the world is going. Stephen Fry is gay in that movie. He's openly gay in it, and he plays this, like, beautiful role. Uh, you know, V himself is obviously very queer, and the movie, like all Wachowski movies, is a coming-out-of-the-closet narrative. I also think it's a trans narrative more than anything. It's a lesbian narrative, too, because, you know, Natalie Portman says, um, I was at the grocery store, and I saw someone I used to work with every day, one of my good friends, and she she looked me in the eye and she didn't recognize me and like the scene and you can listen to the score on Spotify, Evie in the rain. It's just, it's a movie about awakening and it's a movie about, um, about crossing over. And it's a movie about, it's very Aquarian because it's about not just the self crossing over, but it's about, um, devoting the self to a higher cause and about not using the higher cause to cheat, to cheat pain. Um, Viva Vendetta is major. Stephen Fry is major. The Wachowskis, I want to read this quote. Um, Cloud Atlas is one of my favorite, obviously, books of all time. I think it's... Oh, fuck. It's one of my favorite books of all time, and, and the movie is very important to me. I think the soundtrack's perfect. You know, the movie is like three hours. And I want to say that um, it's it's tricky. They did something that they did something that has never been done before, which is they they did cross racial makeup, which is to say they had American actors playing Koreans. They had Korean actors playing African-Americans like it's not blackface. It's like some sort of. I'm not saying it's not not offensive. It's it's weird. 
but it's an experiment. They were not, not the makeup. I thought they really tried to do something and they really tried to do something new and revolutionary. And in some ways it doesn't work in other ways. Having Halle Berry play an old Japanese man. Yes, it does work. Um, they, they didn't even get nominated for a makeup Oscar. And I remember when the, the gay guy who did Meryl Streep's makeup in the iron lady, um, won the Oscar. I was just like, okay, I'm out. Um, Cloud Atlas, it's a long movie. It's a difficult movie. It's a beautiful movie. And I truly, every actor in that movie really is generous and really wants to give a gift. And I will always come to Halle Berry's defense because Halle Berry, listen, Jennifer Aniston is not going to play six characters in the same movie in, and including um, like men, <laughs> aliens, like she does it all. Um, but Cloud Atlas and obviously Duna Bay is very, very, very important to me. Um, and obviously Sensei is very major. Um, Cloud Atlas is financed by the Wachowskis. They did not really get much support. And they did it because they did it as an act of love. I want to, there is a quote um, that I just want to find really quickly. Anyways, I can't find the quote, but I just, re I remember there's this quote from the Wachowskis where they're like, this is the, th the, the thing we're proudest of making in our whole career, which is like, it's this movie that made no money that was nominated in a lot of circles as the best or worst film of the year. And they were just like, we know that we're proud of it. Um, Sensate is also a work of love. You know, it, it had its ups and downs, but I think it really tried to do something. It's also the hottest sex scenes I've ever seen. Uh, I wanted to talk about how Rudolph Valentino and I have the same birthday, but we'll do that next time. Um, My Angel rewatch is going really well. I just watched... I haven't watched Promising Young Woman yet. I'm sorry. I just don't think I can handle it. But I did watch the episode Supersymmetry in which Fred finds the person who... The professor who sent her to a hell dimension. And she goes to kill him. Um, and there is something about that narrative. And especially when they try to talk her out of it where she's like, he's a serial killer. I'm killing him. And it's like, oh, yeah. Go for it. Um... I am really not feeling great about the inauguration. I feel the same way I feel about it as I felt about my second cousin once removes a Zoom bar mitzvah ceremony this weekend, which I was forced to go to at gunpoint. You know, maybe we should just skip it. Maybe we don't need the ceremony. Has anyone thought of that? I, I just don't think it's a great idea. Um, I am recovering actively from this Jupiter Saturn square that we're in. I'm exhausted. I just, I'm not thrilled about it. So I would just say, you know, take care of yourself. I think we've all been through enough psychically, uh, this January. Lastly, I, I was really, I really had a great time discussing with Dexter Driscoll, um, the Nano's astrology last week. We're going to be doing that. I, I think either weekly or every other week, um, so if there's anyone whose astrology you want to do on the podcast, tell me. I'm kind of preferring dead people 
just because you can look at the whole scope of their life, but it doesn't matter. And we can do fictional characters too. Um, I would, you know, if there's like, I-, I would do the astrology of every character on Buffy if you wanted. So let me know. Um, as always, I am David Odyssey, uh, at David underscore Odyssey on Instagram, a David Odyssey on gmail.com available to read your astrology. I promise I will read your chart better than I did Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise's. I had nothing interesting to say about their charts today, but generally speaking, I actually think I do have something interesting to say, or I'll read your tarot, whatever you'd like. Um, Thank you for listening. Courage, mon brave. See you soon. Bye-bye.